It's so awesome when we come together to worship God. Amen. And we do lift our voices up, lift our hands up. It's something that, as we worship him, it changes us. As we worship him, it gives the Holy Spirit the ability to come and touch us and, and touch our lives. Amen. Amen. So it's so important, no matter what happens, don't, let, don't drag into this room anything that you've been going through. I've given this illustration many times before. Many of you know that I used to be in the restaurant business many, many years ago. And I used to tell my waitresses, waiters, waitresses, the staff, service staff, you tell them, you, you've got problems, we all have problems. But people are coming in to eat their dinner, they don't want to know about your problems. So leave your problems in the kitchen. When you go out into the dining room, you have a smile on your face. You have a good attitude about things. Amen? Amen. You say, well, what has it got to do with here? Every, every one of us in here came this morning with something on our mind. Every one of us have something that we're dealing with. Every one of us is either in the middle of something or on your way out of something or on your way into something. But we accomplish nothing if we drag that stuff in here. Say, well, I'm coming here so God can... Yeah, God knows what's going on in your life. But it's an act of faith sometimes. And we say, no, I'm going to deny the worries, the concerns, the anxiety. I'm not going to give it any attention. I'm going to worship my God today as if nothing is bothering me. I'm going to give him the glory, give him the honor, give him the praise. I'm going to give him my attention. I'm not going to let the enemy rob my attention because now I'm worried about this thing, worried about that thing, worried about the other. You can't worry and worship God at the same time. Amen. Can't do it. You're either, going to do, you're either going to get stuck in one or you're going to throw yourself into the other. I say let's throw ourselves into worship. Amen. Honestly, because you worried about things, like Jesus said, it's not going to add any, anything, not going to add a hair to your head. Trust me, I know. So let's be intentional about our worship. Let's be intentional about, hey, look, every day is going to have something to be concerned about, okay? But let's not allow that to take away from our time of worshiping our Father. Because honestly, this is an important, what we just came out of is probably the most important reason we come together, is to put him first, to worship him. Then as we worship him, then he deals with the stuff that's going on in our lives. Amen? Amen. One more thing, I need to make a correction on the Thrive class. Uh, it begins on February the 5th, not the 13th. I don't know where we, somebody made a mistake someplace. So. so get the 13th out of your head and insert the 5th. It's the 5th. The Thrive classes always start the first Sunday of the, new, of the next month, of the new month. Amen? Amen. How are we doing today? Good. Good? You're glad you're here? Yes. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to see so many of you here this morning. Because again, like I said last week, um, this is an important time of the year for us as a church, as for New Beginnings Church. This is an extremely important time of the year for us. Because this is when we set the course of what the rest of the year is going to be like, where our attention is going to be, what the emphasis is going to be. I don't know about you, but how many of you want to repeat like 22, no. 21, no. certainly not 20? <laughs> we want new, right? God says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. And we want to be prepared for the new thing. Okay, now we, we operate in seasons. The kingdom of God operates in seasons. And, and when we say that, when we use that word seasons, it's, you know, in the natural, we want to think, okay, winter, spring, summer, fall. Me, it's spring and summer would be the only seasons of the year that we would have <laughs> if we were up to me. Okay, but, but in, in the spiritual sense, when we talk about seasons, when the Bible talks about seasons, it's really not talking about the four seasons, okay? I don't, I don't mean the band, the music band. I'm talking about the four seasons of... The, it's not talking about that. It's talking about spiritual seasons. And a spiritual season can be a matter of weeks or it could be a matter of years. Now, with all my heart, I believe that the Holy Spirit is preparing us to enter into a season that I believe is going to last. Certain aspects of it will last until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Yeah. Are you listening to me? Yeah. Now, let me get this out of the way for any of you that might be new here today. I know I grew up in a Christian denomination. Well, I grew up in Roman Catholic. I was Roman, the most devout one in my family, Okay. So uh, I know a lot about this stuff. And when I 
when I received the Lord Jesus Christ, when I became what we would classify as born again, I had never until that point heard that Jesus was coming back. Like, what do you mean he's coming? What do you mean he's coming back? So that fascinated me. And, and it seems like the Holy Spirit honed in on that in my life anyway. Um, the first year I was born again, I began to have this series of supernatural dreams where God was showing me stuff, especially related to the second company. So I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. Maybe someday in the future we'll share some things. But let me tell you this, okay? My heart is extremely sensitive to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this whole, this whole concept hit me a few days ago that I want to share with you, and then we're going to go into this message because we're in a season of preparation. Amen. Okay, would you, would you turn to somebody and say that word, please? Preparation. Okay, now, if you look at the Bible, and if you do an overview of the Bible, okay, then what we call the Old Testament, or we like to refer to as the first covenant, the first, the first covenant in which God revealed himself to people, okay? The entire Old Testament first covenant is preparation for the first coming. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of scriptures in the Old Testament talking about the first time the Messiah would come to the earth, okay? But also, in those scriptures, there are references to, and actually, there's more references to the second coming than there are to the first coming. Now, you get into the New Testament, and then here, Jesus comes to the earth. He's born in Bethlehem. Okay, that, that's not where he began, right? Jesus always is, right? Because the, the, the God exists as the Trinity, yes? yes. We, are, we believe in the Trinity here, okay? It's God the Father. Come on, come on. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, okay? Three in one, okay? So... The Gospels now cover Jesus' life on earth the first time he came. Very limited. It's only three and a half years. When he returns, that's it. He's here. Okay? So here we are in this little in-between time. You say, well, little in-between time. It's been 2,000 years. Yes, but watch this now. Once you get into God, Now, the Gospels exist to reveal Jesus to us. Jesus came to earth to reveal the Father to us. Are you following this? Yes. Okay? So now, once we get out of the Gospels, and the Gospels are, are to lead us to Jesus as our Savior, Amen. especially the Gospel of John, right? Amen. Now, you get into the book of Acts, and you've got the history of the church. You got this? Yes. Now, you get it out of the book of Acts, and you have all the letters that are written to the church, yes? yes. Okay? Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, Ephesians, throw them all in there, book of James, everything. That is where we receive instruction for how to live as a Christian, excuse me, <coughs> as someone who's already received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, how do we live on the earth? And in the epistles, in the letters to the church. You know, we hear that word epistle, sounds very religious, doesn't it? Epistolos is the Greek word for letter. That's all it is, it's a letter. Okay, so the letter to the Corinthians, the letter to the Romans, the letter to the Galatians, is all instruction on how we're to live here on earth from the moment that you said yes to Jesus Christ to the moment you go and are out of here. Okay? So, it's not surprising then that within the letters we find a lot of correction, a lot of instruction. Amen? a lot of principles that don't pertain to people in the Old Testament or to people that have not yet received Jesus Christ, but they pertain to the church. Now, why would we have all these instructions and why would we have all these principles to follow? Because the church now is supposed to be the gospel carriers to the rest of the world. But let me just say this, and, and, and look, these messages are not patty cake messages. Uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat things. Uh, I don't believe um, if you go to a doctor and the doctor doesn't tell you everything that's going on, I don't think the doctor's helping you. And sometimes the doctor may have to get rough and say, hey, listen, you know, if you don't stop doing this or start, if you don't start doing this, or, there's going to be consequences. Amen? And so we receive instruction in the scriptures of how we're to live our lives on this earth. And one of the main reasons is this so that 
we shine bright, not for ourselves, but that people would see the change in our lives, people would see the type of life you're living, and be attracted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, now, I know that puts a tremendous amount of pressure on us, because we don't always act like Christians. A couple of people, be honest, the rest of you are sitting there going, I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> Why don't you put the guard down, okay? And let's just be honest with each other. Uh, all of us have missed opportunities to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to someone because we messed up, because the relationship went bad, because you missed the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit on the inside to say, hey, go talk to this person, go pray for this person, go bless that person, go do something nice for them, and we missed opportunities for that. It's okay. God understands that, and God knew before you missed the opportunity that you were going to miss the opportunity. Okay? So let's not put that pressure on us. Let's let the grace of God teach us. Amen. And I hope you remember last week's major scripture because that's where we're going to go real quick. I want to review this. And again, but let me come back to this. Let me come back to this. I don't feel like I made this point. The entire church age, which up until this point is about 2,000 years. Now, I don't think there's much more left to this church age, especially if you study the way God moved in the past and the way God does things uh, how he's done things throughout the history of mankind. And you start to get a kind of a pattern, you see. And if, we, if the pattern follows true, and I don't see why it shouldn't because it has followed true in every other situation throughout human history, we have, we're at the very end of the church age. Okay? That means once the church age is over with, the next age that comes is called the millennial age. Uh, that's a thousand years that Christ will rule here on the earth. Okay, a thousand years of peace. Uh, this is literal. This isn't oh, in your head or it's going to seem like it. No, it is literal. Jesus Christ, when he returns, is literally returning. It's not, well, you know, it's his influence on the earth. No, no, get that out of your heads. Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth. Amen. Now, there is a sliver of time. I said I wasn't going to do this teaching. I'm doing it anyway. There's a sliver of time between the end, of the, the end of the church age and the beginning of the millennial age of Christ's reign on the earth of seven years. According to the scriptures, not according to Joe, according to the scriptures, those seven years will be the most hell that this earth has ever seen. And if you have eyes that are open and ears that are open, you will see, if you've studied anything along this in scripture, we are right now, right on the very threshold of that seven-year period. Amen. Everything that has to line up on the earth, among the nations, in the political realm, uh, in the religious realm, in the spiritual realm, everything is lining up according to what the scriptures tell us will be the state and the condition of mankind on the earth just before this next sliver of time of seven years. Okay? So listen. This is what I heard in my, in my spirit a few days ago, pondering all this, because I've been going over this in my head, praying about it, meditating on it, studying about it since like probably the very end of November or the beginning of December. The entire church age, which is what? 2,000 years, is preparation for the second coming. The entire 2,000 years has been preparation because everything you see in the letters that were written to the church 2,000 years ago speak like they could have been written today. Okay? So, what does it mean to prepare? Here's a concept that I see in the Word. You see it yourself. I'm open to your input. Not here now, but at some point. There is never preparation without repentance. And God never leads us to repentance if it's not connected to preparation. Okay? Let's say, let me use the example of a, a bad marriage. Okay? In a bad marriage, they, people get married, husband and wife get married, a man and woman get married, okay? And then they, live, they start to live life together. And then they start to realize 
uh, you're not the person I thought you were. And the other one's like, what happened to the person that I was dating? They disappeared, okay? And so now we start, and there's, there's issues, there's challenges. Challenges, if they're not dealt with, become problems. And then you get to a point where there's a stagnant state in that relationship, okay? And then God, when he's invited on the scene, will come and say, okay, do you want a future? Yes. Okay. Then this needs to change. That needs to change. This way of thinking needs to change. The way you're speaking needs to change. The way you treat each other needs to change. Okay? What is that? Repentance. Now, what's a repentance for? To prepare for the future of that marriage. Okay? Uh, let's say you're raising children, and you start out raising children, and you realize, ah, these kids are not turning out the way I thought they were going to turn out. It's like, so then you start, well, this is your fault because they take after your family, and then the other one starts going, no, no, it's your fault because they take after your side of the family. And so now you have a problem. So now, what happens? If, if, if the couple is a godly, wise couple, they will go to the Lord, pray, and say, Holy Spirit, show us what's going on. And the Holy Spirit will, will come and say, okay, because uh, repentance is a change of mind. Now, some of us go up to repentance is you've got to go sit in a box with a guy on a screen, and you're going to tell him everything that you did, or, or some of these crazy religions around the world where they have to cut themselves and, and beat themselves and you know, make a pilgrimage somewhere in order to, to avoid the punishment of sin. Biblically speaking, repentance is a change of mind. In other words, you had this viewpoint about this aspect of life, and then you find out, wait a second, the Word of God teaches something completely different. Now, you're at the point where you've got to make the decision. Am I going to continue walking this way, or am I going to turn around and go in the other direction? That's repentance. Amen. And so, so the couple will receive instruction from the Lord. Well, you've got to stop doing this, and you've got to stop talking to your kids this way, and you need to enforce this in your house, or you need, to, you need to step up and be the parent instead of trying to be their best friend. And so what happens now? You have a chance to prepare for the rest of your future with these children so that they don't turn out to be axe murderers. Okay? You get what I'm saying? So what are you going to need to do? You have to repent. You, have to, you realize you were going in the wrong direction. You change your mind, and you go in the opposite direction, right? Amen. Okay, so up to this point, the church has, in, in general, I'm not talking about just new beginnings, I'm talking about the church world in general, because we're the church, right? Yeah. Amen. Who's the church? Yeah. Is this building the church? Yeah. Who's the church? Yeah. We are. Okay. Up to this point, the church has allowed a lot of junk to come in Amen. that years ago would have never been allowed to come in. We've drifted. The body of Christ in general, the church universal, I'm talking about born-again believers all over the earth, people that have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we've drifted. We've allowed a lot of junk to come into the church that should have stayed out and should have only been in the world. And in some cases, some things have come in that we got out of the world to escape from, and then we turn around and invite it back into our lives again. So we're in this season of preparation. And just like right now, the church, the universal body of Christ right now is supposed to be like John the Baptist. And John the Baptist had one message, repentance. Get ready, get ready. What, was, what were they preparing for? The coming of the Messiah. Jesus is coming. Get ready. That was his message. To the religious people, to the non-religious people, prepare yourselves. Repent. Change the way you're living. Change the way you, well, change the way you're thinking first. Change the way you're living. Change it. Just get ready. Get your act together. <laughs> Clean your act up. Why? Because the Messiah was coming. And he ruffled a lot of people, especially in the religious world. Okay? We're John the Baptist again. Because we're speaking to the world, and we're speaking to the religious community, if you want to put it that way. Those of us already born again, repent. Take inventory. Take stock of your life. And if you see that there's stuff there 
that is not in sync with God's character, then ask the Holy Spirit to help you change. Plain and simple. This is the message for this year. Now, this is just the beginnings of it, okay? Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? And honestly, listen to me. When God initiates a season like this, and it's always through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives where? If, you're, if you are the church, where does the Holy Spirit live? Amen. Right here. Paul said, you're the temples of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's why you, honestly, we come together on Sunday morning, Saturday night, Wednesday nights, whenever else we come together, to enjoy each other's company as we're seeking God, hearing from God, worshiping God. But the truth of the matter is, you don't have to go to a building to do that. I know I come from a background, many of you do also, that we thought, well, I got to get to church so I can pray. I got, no, eh. if you didn't grow up in, when I grew up in, you don't understand the concept. And some of you Protestant people that weren't raised the way I was raised, you still have this idea, well, it's the house of God. No, you're the house of God. But you shouldn't do that in the house of God. Well, you're the house of God, and you shouldn't do it wherever you are. But the truth of the matter is, we can see God uh, hear from God, pray to God, study the word of God, worship God, take communion, do all those things without having to come here. Now, we do, I'm glad we do because we encourage one another. We share, we hug, we have coffee together, we enjoy some cookies and stuff. And, that, and that's community. God wants that. He raises a family. He doesn't raise a corporation. He raises a family. Okay? But get this thing out of your head that you have to come here to experience change. In fact, very little change is going to happen while you're sitting here. The majority of the change is going to happen when you leave here and you ponder and meditate on whatever we discussed here today. Okay? Because here, you're listening to me, you're worrying about, well, gosh, didn't anybody tell that? Did she have a mirror in the house this morning before she left? (laughs) Or you're you're thinking, um, that person walked right in front of me, didn't say hello. We're constantly distracted. Does he realize how cold it's in this room? Does he realize how hot it's in this room? Does the worship team realize how loud it is? Here we get distracted. So I'm saying this to say, please, please, especially now with these series of messages that we're launching into, please don't just take your Sunday morning experience, put it on the shelf until next Sunday. That's religion. That's not relationship with God. You'll have more change and transformation if you pursue your relationship with God outside of here than you will if it's only limited to here. Okay? So now I've got to move really fast because I spent all this time now setting this whole thing up. So last year, last year, last week, the main scripture that we were concentrating on is found in Titus chapter 2. Starting in verse 11. If you're not on your phone, looking at, and if you're on your phone, I hope it's on your Bible app. I pray that Facebook would shut down when we come to church. Text, your text messages would cease when you come to church, okay? What do we do before we had phones that we could carry with us? We came to church and we weren't distracted by that. Amen? Watch this now. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It's talking about who? Thank you for that one little... Who is it? He's saying here grace is a person. Okay? He's talking about Jesus because Jesus is the one that God sent to bring salvation to all mankind. Amen? Amen. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now we're going to find out what grace is supposed to do. We're going to find out a function of grace that comes from God. Teaching us, teaching us, teaching us. Turn to somebody and say, teaching us. Yes. Now watch this now. If what you claim you're experiencing is grace, but you're not learning anything, then you have tapped into a false grace. Because grace is the empowerment from God to open up our eyes, to realize something is wrong, and then empowers us 
to make the changes we need to make. Okay, so listen to me. If you're born again, but there's a facet of your life that is still the same as it was before, then I would suggest you have not applied the grace of God and allowed it to teach you, how do I get out of this thing that keeps cropping up in my life? Okay, I'm going to keep going. I didn't expect everybody to have this great roar of, amen, pastor. (laughs) So grace is supposed to teach us. Teach us what? To deny ungodliness. Well, what's ungodliness? Everything that's outside of God's character, right? And worldly lusts, the desires that, that entice us, and everyone's different. Everyone's hook is different. But everyone has a hook, something on the inside that either the system of this world is going to appeal to or the devil himself is going to appeal, appeal to, to get you to conduct yourself in an ungodly way. See, when we, when we follow after God's desires, it doesn't bring us into ungodliness. Listen, this is good. But when we follow after our own fleshly desires, it always brings us into ungodliness. Well, pastor, it's it's a natural thing with me. That's the problem. It's a natural thing. But you are a supernatural being on the inside. Your flesh is still in the natural. Your body, your emotions, for the most part, are probably still in the natural. But your spirit is connected to God Almighty when you got born again. So you're in a tug of war. That's why the most miserable people in the world are Christians who are still involved in ungodly conduct. Because your spirit is pulling this way, and your, your flesh, your desires, the ungodly part, is pulling that way, and we get stuck in the middle. Go read Romans chapter 7. Paul went through this. And then in chapter 8, he gives us the solution. Amen. So, grace is supposed to teach us to deny ungodliness. Deny. Now, notice it doesn't say resist. It says deny. In other words, as soon as you recognize something is, is popping up on the inside that does not line up with God's character, or something is trying to come to you from the outside, a temptation or something like that, that doesn't line up with God's character, we're to deny access. Listen to me. We're to deny access to it. We're not to let it infiltrate our emotions, our soul, all right? Because it can't infiltrate your spirit. Your spirit has been sealed by the Holy Ghost. According to Hebrews chapter 10, verse, verse 14, we've been perfected, but it also says that we're being sanctified. Our spirit is made perfect by God when you said yes to Jesus Christ. That's important because that's what guarantees you You're going to heaven, not going to hell. But we have a soul to deal with. And to the point that we've exposed our soul to the word of God, which gives us direction, correction, principles, amen, to the extent that your soul, which is your mind, your will, your emotions, to the extent that that's exposed to the word of God is the extent of growth you're going to see in your life. We all know Christians, nobody in here, of course. We all know Christians who, who genuinely got born again. Their spirit genuinely came alive unto God. But they never went to church. They never read the Bible. They never prayed. They never did anything. And they still, even though they're going to heaven, still think like, talk like, and act like someone who's never been exposed to God. Why? Because the spirit is saved, but the soul just remained unrenewed. And you and I don't want to be one of those. You and I don't want to step into return. Now, listen, we're never going to get perfect. Let's, let's, let's make that clear. You and I do not want to be one of those because we have to live in eternity forever with the reward that we receive for the way we conducted ourselves here on earth. You listening? Okay. So... Grace teaches us that we should deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we, worldly lusts, that we should live what? Sorry. And we're going to concentrate on that word today more. 
that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Keep going. Looking for the blessed hope. Look at, look at, look at what Paul refers to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. As what? The blessed hope. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing. And when he appears, it's going to be glorious. There's, never, there's going to be nothing in human history that anybody's going to be able to compare and say, oh, this is like when this happened. No, it's completely unprecedented. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every what? Lawless deed and do what? Purify for who? For himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. So this is the season we're in. This is the season we're in. He's coming. He's coming. He could appear at any moment right now. There is nothing left to happen according to the scriptures before Jesus makes his appearing, okay? It could happen any moment. I, I think it'd be the coolest thing in the world if it happened while we're all in church together. <laughs> coolest thing in the world, right? But however... Paul is emphasizing in this period, from this point until he appears, we need to be denying ungodliness. We need to get our cravings, our fleshly desires that can sometimes slip into immorality, uh, our fleshly desires that can sometimes manifest as greed and manifest as selfishness, self-centeredness, all of these things that do not sink with the character of God. We need to deny access to those things. We need to get those, those desires, those strong cravings under control. You're never going to eliminate them. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can get them under control. Where they don't control us, we control them. Amen. And they're sneaky. Now, I'm going to have to teach on this in the future. You can't do it today. And usually those things are always triggered by some type of an emotional attack against our minds. You know, you, you, you have a bad breakup with someone, all right? And you're, you're, you know, you're just starting to heal up, and then you're either watching TV or online or in the car, and all of a sudden a song pops up. That was, <laughs> that was our song. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Just Keith. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and so what happens? What is it? It triggers now this whole, this whole cycle in your head. And you're going back. And you ever notice that when you go into those cycles, you always forget the bad times? You completely forget what a maniac the person was. <laughs> you just, I remember the first time we went to dinner together. Yeah, but did you forget how abusive? Did you forget how cheap? Did you forget how? We romanticize those things. And we don't look at them factually. And then the next thing you know, we're starting to engage some kind of an ungodly desire on the inside. Now you start making a plan how you're going to bring that to pass. James chapter 1 says the problems we have are coming from within us. Well, pastor, the devil... No, the devil can't make you do anything you don't want to do. It comes from here. Actually, more accurately, it comes from here. This is where it starts. Those ungodly desires that entice you to drag you out of the relationship that you have with God and to drag you into a cycle of just binging everything that's ungodly. I'm talking to somebody today. <laughs> All right, so let's, let's, let's do this, okay, because i got to move quick here. Now, that word soberly, I've questioned for many, many times, why did the Holy Spirit prompt Paul to write that word first, soberly? Now, in our society today, I would say the majority of us here, when I said soberly, you thought of a person that's not drunk. Physically, I mean, not drunk. Uh, it's a lot more than that. We're going to spend some time looking into this because there's a reason why Paul wrote the word soberly first, and it goes back to 
something that Jesus shared in the Gospels pertaining to the day that you and I are living in right now. Can I have that scripture in Matthew 24, please? Now, I found this out years ago. I, I, I can't go into it a lot. Maybe I will repeat this teaching in the future, especially this year coming up. Uh, one, one time about probably 12, 14 years ago, uh, early in the morning, I felt strongly impressed by God. This is what I literally heard. I want you to go read Matthew 24, 25, and the beginning of 26 straight through. Don't separate the chapters. And when you do that, you find out that Jesus was conducting a seminar with his disciples about the last days. They're sitting across from the Temple Mount, which if you know the the geography, if you looked on a map or studied it, or maybe you've had the opportunity to go there, across from the Temple Mount, where the temple was, there's the valley, and then on the other side, there's another uh, hill. And that's where Jesus spent his last hours with the disciples. What is that called? What's on top of that hill? Where did the Garden of Gethsemane, where was the Garden of Gethsemane? On the Mount of Olives. Okay, if you're standing on the Mount of Olives and you look east, you see across the valley, and there is the Temple Mount. Well, now is the mosque there, but originally that's where Solomon's Temple was, on that, in that area. So Jesus is up there, and they're talking, and they're overlooking all of Jerusalem from that point. And so we pick up here. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, went up on the other side. His disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple like he'd never seen them before. And so picture this, picture this. The, 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 because they were from Galilee, they, they visited Jerusalem once in a while. But for the most part, this is like going to Disney World for them. Okay? And they're like, look at all these beautiful buildings. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, that literally, for those of you that are new here, that literally took place 79 AD, 100% fulfilled. When the Romans came and attacked Jerusalem, because the people had rebelled against Roman rule, they came, they encircled Jerusalem, they put a siege against the city. When they finally got in, the first place they went to was the temple. Why? Because the temple in Jerusalem was not just a church or a place of worship. The temple in Jerusalem was also Fort Knox. That's where all the wealth was. All the gold, all the silver, anything that was valuable was stored at the temple. They attacked the temple. They burn it. Whatever couldn't be burned, obviously with stone. But all the precious metals, all the gold, the silver that melted from the fire and went in between all the stone blocks... They came back with slaves and pried every stone apart to be able to get the gold and the silver out of it. Literally, what Jesus said came to pass 100% accurately. Amen? The stuff that you see there today, when you go there today, what, what, what is called in Judaism the wailing wall, is a reta- it's not even near the temple. It's the retaining wall that was the only thing that's left there. Everything else was pried apart and thrown down into a valley behind the temple. You can go see the stones, but they're not in place, and they haven't been for 2,000 years. Some of them were repurposed in other places. Literally, what Jesus said came to pass 100%. You getting this? Now, next verse. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, privately, because nobody wanted to ask the question in front of a crowd, Tell us when these things will be. What things? Well, he just said, when when is this temple going to get destroyed? When is this going to happen? And when is Jerusalem going to be devastated? When is, and he said to them, they said to him, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and the, read it with me, the end of the age. So he wasn't only saying, they were only saying, tell me when this thing's going to happen, but also tell me when are you coming back and when is the end of the age? Now, that's, that's a good question, right? A question that deserves a good answer, right? Okay. And Jesus said to them, read it, read it out loud. Take heed that no one... So the first thing that Jesus said to look out for is deception. Are you listening to me? 
The very first thing Jesus said to look out for was deception. Why? Because when a person gets a deception, they don't think right, they don't talk right, they don't act right. Are you listening to me? He didn't say look for this thing. He says it later on. But the very first thing he warns against is deception. And that's why Paul wrote in Titus chapter 2 that we should live soberly. To live soberly means not be in deception. Here it is. The Greek word is nepho, N-E-P-H-O, to be not drunk, to be free from deliriums, delusions, hallucinations that may accompany drunkenness, to think straight, not, to, not like a silly drunk, to be free of silly thinking. And have you ever lived at a time when there was more silly thinking than now? You want to look at people and go, did you hear what you just said? <laughs> Especially if you get into the media. And they do it with a straight face. And they expect that we're idiots that we're going to believe this stuff. Able to have presence of mind, clear judgment. Enabling one to be in control of his thinking rather than be controlled by urges. This is all in that Greek word. To be, to be not controlled by impulses, whims, fluctuating emotions. Impulses, whims, fluctuating emotions. I went to Target for one thing and came out with $400. <laughs> Impulse buying. Worse yet, go to Costco. Because at Costco, you can spend 500 bucks. God bless you. You can spend 500 bucks easy. And most of the stuff when you go home, go, why, why did we buy this? What are we supposed to do with this? What are we going to do with 50 pounds of Cheerios? <laughs> now listen, listen. The business community in our society knows that many people on this earth are operating under delusion, deception, not thinking straight, moved by impulses. Some of the time, I'll sit, we'll, we'll watch television sometime, I'll sit and like, what is this commercial about? <laughs> you, you ever notice you can't, you don't really know what they're selling until the end of the commercial because they're pulling like on all these other things? Why? Because most of society today, no matter where you go, not just here in America, is controlled by impulses, cravings, desires, whims. Every new gadget that comes out, I got to have that. Why? What do you need it for? We didn't, we didn't need it for all of our lives. Now all of a sudden I need this new gadget. <laughs> Whims. To have one wits about them, that's at a premium right now. <laughs> to be rational, the opposite of irrational. Now, now that we understand Jesus said, the first thing you better look for is deception. When you sense that deception is running rampant, you're being set up. Yes or no? Because yes. why? If you're, if you're not sober, you're acting like a drunk. I've seen very few dr drunks act rationally. I remember one time, many, 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 many years, I was probably an older teenager. And just like you, you know, I wasn't born with a Bible under my arm, okay? For the most part, most of us in here, we're not. And so we have a dark past, yes or no? Yes. Hey, come on, don't make me feel like I'm hanging out here myself. <laughs> How many would admit I had a dark past? Okay, so there was this spot in town near the high school that we went to that everybody got together to drink, okay? We'd all sneak liquor out of the house, okay? Uh, who bought pot, who bought whatever? And so we go there. And I remember this one time, one of my best friends, who was one of the most conservative, clean-cut individuals, it took four of us to pin this guy down because he was convinced he was going to run across. It was right near the parkway. He was convinced that he was going to run across the parkway. That's not somebody who's thinking rationally. I, have you seen anybody that's drunk and still act rationally? No, because it's supposed to change your perception. The reason why people drink yeah. is to change the perception of, of what their life is like because it hurts so much. 
The only problem is, is when you come out of that, your problems are still there. You just took a little mental vacation. And everybody has sat up at night going, oh, God, I'll never drink again if you get me through this. Oh, God, I'll never just, you know, worship in the por- at the porcelain throne. God, if you get me through this, I'll never do it again. God, if you get me through this, thank God he never made a sign for that. So the importance in this season that we're in right now is for us to be sober-minded, clear-headed. And in order to do that, some of us may have to change some things. We may have to change the stuff we're watching, listening to. We may even have to change some relationships. I know this sounds harsh. But sometimes they're for a season. Okay, sometimes you and I are called to seasons of isolation. I'm not saying it's healthy to live there, but sometimes it's better to be alone, just you and God, than to be in the bunch of that you're hanging out with. I know you're looking at me like, oh, God would never do it. Oh, oh, yeah, God does that. Yeah, there's some of us that need to cut off certain relationships. Didn't say you had to hate them. Didn't tell you to go to your house and kill them. Not ta- that's not what I'm talking What I'm saying is, if you sense that the grace has lifted off of a relationship, in other words, this is like having a part-time job, just, ha- just continuing this relationship, I would suggest to you that you are on a dangerous path because you'll continue in that relationship without the grace of God. And to be in any situation not being graced by God, you are setting yourself up for, for something dangerous. In other words, pay attention to the seasons that God has you in. Now, it doesn't mean that you may not be able to come back to that relationship in the future. And listen to me. Let me clarify this because I'm talking to a crowd in 2023. I'm not talking about marriages. Well, Pastor told me I can separate from you. Because <laughs> you're too much work. No, no. You have a grace that's called the covenant of marriage that covers that already. You need to go appeal to that grace, okay? You're listening? Because I saw somebody's eyes perk up like, I'm out of here. As soon as I I walk out of this building, I'm done. Not even going to go to breakfast with them. You listening to me? Now, look, I can't finish this today. We'll come back next week. We'll review this again, and we'll get further on because you need to see more about the importance of soberness. And, and listen, to, for some of us, I know I'm talking to myself here right now. Some of us, it may even be a change of eating habits. Because we get our minds clouded sometimes when we don't, we, we, when, especially when you, you know you're not supposed to eat stuff and you eat it. And you're like, oh, I don't know why I have a headache. Well, what, you ate 20 pounds of sugar. You have a headache. Or you stopped eating these things that which were good for you. And, uh, you know, I went through a, a time period just before the holidays where I cut all the sugar, cut all the carbs, cut all this stuff, knocked a whole bunch of weight off. Felt like, oh, my God, all the uh, joint pains went away, all this other kind of stuff, you know. And then the holidays came. <laughs> and with us, the holiday, like, I went to, a couple of years ago, I went to my cardiologist, and he said to me, Joe, what are you doing? You gained so, all this weight in your... Numbers are all over the place. I said, well, you know, it was Christmas. He goes, Christmas is one day. <laughs> you didn't do this in one day. So promise me next year, no candy, no cookies. Don't, get, don't bring cookies. You know, oh, cro- cookies and carols, that day you can bring them. But I may stay home next year. Because I think that was the day that triggered everything back again. Okay, whatever. Don't bring me pies. Don't bring me cakes. Don't bring, oh, I know you like this. No, forget about it. That was the old man who liked that. You, you see what I'm saying? Sometimes we think walking soberly has to be this massive change of something else when it could be the little things. And listen to me, please. Be aware of what you're watching. There is nothing healthy anymore. Everything has an agenda. Even, even if you say, well, I watch documentaries. Honey, if, you're, if that documentary is not from the 1950s and prior, you're not getting the truth anyway. 
You're getting a version that was put together to accomplish an agenda. That's it. Be aware, because we are what we eat, not just naturally eating. We are what we watch. We are what we listen to. And listen, there is an agenda to turn us completely away from God. And of course, nobody's going to do it in one shot. It's a little bit at a time in this movie, in that series, in this. And we sit there and binge Netflix. And even the television knows it's not good for you, because every once in a while, in between episodes, it'll go, are you still watching this? Anybody seen that? Anybody seen that? Are you still watching this? Like, come on, get up and go do something. <laughs> These are all the things they're going to add to, look at me, because we're out of here. Got to get out of here. I'm way over time already. We got to get out of here. Listen, these are all the things that are going to lead to transformation. It's the little things that make up our everyday lives that we have to take an inventory of and recognize, what am I doing here? Because if you're coming here one hour a week, but you're spending the rest of the week watching everything on Netflix, then you tell me where your influence is going to come from. It's not going to be this one hour here. This one hour here, oh, I went to church last week. It's not even going to matter. You have to bring your Christian experience out of your church service and bring it into your everyday life or you're not going to experience transformation. I, I cannot believe that I did not cover hardly any of this material. But was this helpful today? Okay, now let me just make a plug here. Guys, Tuesday morning, 7 o'clock, we meet here for Bible study. We spend one hour together, that's it. Because I know there's guys that have to get to work. I'm already at work, so it doesn't matter. But we, we end at 8 o'clock on the dot. You are welcome to come. I suggest you bring a Bible, at least have a Bible app on your phone. It's an amazing time. Can anybody that comes on Tuesday morning attest to that? Amen. 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 Okay. Amen. Next Wednesday, I started doing something different last Wednesday night, and it seems like it really worked out good. I'm not, I'm not teaching a lecture style on Wednesday nights, at least for these next few weeks. Um, it's being handled more interactive. Everybody gets an outline when they come in. We go through the outline together, but there's time to ask questions. There's time to give your uh, comment about what we're talking about. There's time for that kind of stuff because sometimes we have questions that we want to ask, and there's things that want to... And, and it's amazing how the Holy Spirit takes these discussions and brings them into different areas. So if you, ha- if you don't normally come on Wednesday night, and you can, that starts at 7 o'clock. That's usually an hour also. Um, we had a tremendous, tremendous response last Wednesday night. And so um, I'm just saying, if you can come, come. I think you're going to enjoy it. I think you'll be blessed by it. I think you might get some things answered that you've had questions about. And um, if not, we'll see you next Sunday. But please, this is not time to be checking out of church right now. In fact, if you know somebody you usually see here and you don't see them, please reach out to them. Tell them, listen, you've got to get there this season that we're in. Amen? If anybody needs prayer for anything, please come on up. If not, God bless you. Go enjoy the rest of the weekend.